Antonio, we got an invitation to move out to Southern California and go on staff at a church, and it was a Baptist church, a Southern Baptist church, that had experienced an outpouring of revival, and it was, by the time we got there, it wasn't a Baptist church anymore, I'm just saying, it was a massive move of God, and uh, and, and it was amazing because we went from, from you know, just very nice, typical West Texas to, uh, or actually San Antonio, just very typical, to into this, this incredible movement of God, unlike anything we'd ever seen or experienced before. So I was called as the youth pastor, so we were student pastors there, and when we showed up, we were so excited because of what God was going to do, and I remember driving into town, and I think it was a Penske truck at that time, we were driving up the Cajon Pass, call it driving up the hill, and literally you're driving over uh, over the, the tectonic rift in the earth called the San Andreas Fault, and that's kind of creepy, especially right now, right? And so a lot of our friends out there have written that they're fine. But so we were going up the pass, and we, and we drove up into the high desert of Southern California, Victorville, Apple Valley. We, we got a house sight unseen. It was just one of those crazy moves. And we end up there, and I show up, and we have 35 angry, hurting, grieving students. And what had happened was their youth pastor before me was going down the pass, down the hill, they call it, down the 15, and he was killed in a car wreck. And so we showed up and got literally airdropped into this mess. And uh, it was difficult. I'm not going to say it was like, woohoo, yay, here we go, let's go. It was difficult. And uh, it was hard because they were grieving and hurting. And, you know, the guy who follows somebody like that, it's, it doesn't look good for them. I'm just saying. So there was a lot of distrust. And who's this country bumpkin from Texas? And what's he doing here? And, and it was tough. And yet we bore down and said, you know what? God has called us here, and we're going to do what God's called us to do. And it's exactly what we did. We started making disciples, and we started building a worship team, and we started this thing called Generation Church, Gen Church that we did, and, and we saw God began to move in a powerful way. In fact, we experienced revival in that student ministry. We were there for three years, and we saw that go from 35 broken, hurting kids to over 200 because the Holy Spirit decided to show up. You know, it's pretty awesome when the Holy Spirit shows up to church. I'm just saying. And it literally changed everything. But in the middle of that, as you can imagine, there was, it was just like, like jumping into a blender and hitting frappe. I mean, just like, I mean, just everything was crazy for three wild years. And it was, I mean, we would have to have security in the parking lot for our student ministry because we had gang members showing up. We had Satanists showing up. Yeah, those are real people. That actually happens. We had, a, in fact, there was a, there was a, a, a Satanist group that would come out behind our church and do sacrifices and build circles and do pentagrams out behind our church trying to curse our church. But I love where the Bible says that a curse without cause will not alight. It can't hit its mark. And so it didn't intimidate or scare us, but I'm telling you, we were in a hotbed of spiritual activity. And it's real calm here in Texas because we just sort of cover everything over and we sort of act like it doesn't happen. But I'm telling you, there are other places where it's out in the open. 
And in the midst of that, I was like, Lord, I need reinforcements. I need help. I was not trained in seminary for this. And I was given a book by Neil Anderson, Dr. Neil Anderson, called The Bondage Breaker. And I devoured that book because I was desperate, and I dove into it and read it, and I remember what I thought the book was going to be about was dealing with spiritual darkness and everything. It was actually about our identity in Christ. And that shifted everything for me. When I read that book, I discovered who I was in Jesus. And you know what that did for me? It actually confirmed what I already believed intuitively, what I already knew in my heart, what I knew in my core. Because here's the deal, brothers and sisters, truth will resonate in your core. And when you hear it, you go, wait a minute, this is that, and that is true. You just know truth. And I remember hearing this, and, and, and wait a minute, I'm holy? No, I don't feel very holy. I'm blameless according to your word, and that's how you see me? Wait a minute. And I'm above reproach? Really? But you don't know what I did yesterday. I mean, the truth of my identity in Christ literally changed the, tra the trajectory of my entire life. And I took that little book, and remember this? We, we gathered, I think, 78 students we took through that. And we gathered all these students, and we took them through, and we began to teach them their identity in Jesus. And I'll tell you in a minute just how important this is. And as they begin to understand who they are in Christ, that they're not who their peers say they are, they're not who their coaches say they are, they're not who uh, an, an unaware and maybe even neglectful adult said they were, or who an abusive adult said they were, or who an abusive boyfriend said they were, suddenly they begin to understand who they are in Christ according to God's Word. And when that happened, it changed everything. And we saw our students begin to grow and begin to explode with life. And our youth ministry just came alive because of identity. They got it. And when they got it, they were unstoppable. And what happened, many of them went into ministry. Many of them received empowerments from God and gifts from God and began to minister to one another and minister in their schools. And many of them became worship leaders and came on our team. And some, one of them became one of the youth pastor not long after I left. And so we saw God raise up out of the ashes, out of brokenness, how God did exactly what Kierkegaard said. He flipped everything. He flipped everything. He turned sinners into saints. And once they understood that they're saints, not sinners, that that's their identity because that's what God calls them, it changed everything. You know what I believe? I believe it'll change something for you too. So we're spending six weeks, this is week two, in a series we're calling Identified because I'm telling you, I believe it is one of the most important and yet neglected teachings in the church today. So we're going to go there and I will be beating this drum until Jesus takes me home. So that was back in 95. And think about it. I haven't stopped beating that drum. In fact, most teachings, as you know, you'll, you'll understand something, get a piece of revelation. It becomes a foundational thing for the next thing. And we grow layer by layer, measure upon measure, and, and greater measures of growth. But, and then we kind of move on. But for me, this, I never just moved on because not only is it foundational and core, it is the gospel. It's the good news. The good news is that he takes me and transforms me. Not after I die, cross over the river into Beulah land. He transforms me for now, for here, for this life. 
And you know what he does for you too, brother and sister? He does exactly the same. So last week, we're going to pick up today, and we're calling this You're Leaking Again. It's in Colossians, and we're taking a little journey. So let me just give you the highlights of last week. We talked about verse 22 in Colossians, and that you have been made to be, because of what Jesus has done for you, you have been made holy, blameless, and above reproach. That is a mind bender. Now, let me tell you what holy means. It means sacred, pure, set apart. Did you know that's who you are? You know why I know that? Because God sees the end from the beginning, and he sees you as you're becoming. He sees the finished work. Somebody say amen, or I'm quitting right now. Okay, all right. Thank you. Also, blameless, blameless. Listen to this. Spotless, unblemished, and faultless. When was the last time you felt faultless? Here's the beauty. It doesn't matter what you feel. Truth is what matters because the truth is not contingent upon what we believe or upon what we feel. Truth is truth, and it's true no matter what. Come on. Somebody better say amen. I'm going to get you talking back sooner or later. It's just, we're going to, it's like starting my old lawnmower. It's going to start in a minute. Here we go. Spotless, unblemished. Well, by the way, it didn't start. I couldn't get it to start yesterday, so hopefully that won't be the case here. Here's the last part. I love this. Verse 22, above reproach, unaccusable. It's like you're impermeable. It's like things are flying at you. The enemy's shooting fiery darts at you, and they're just bouncing off. All we hear is the chatter and noise of arrows falling to the ground and hitting your shield of faith. Why? Because you're unaccusable. Like I said, I quoted that scripture earlier, that like a flitting sparrow or a darting swallow, a curse without cause will not alight. It will not find its mark. Why? Because you, (laughs) Jesus took the curse on him and became the curse. Galatians chapter 3. And because he became that, now you're not that. And he's taken all those darts. He's taken all those arrows. He stands in between us. He stands in the gap. He intercedes on our behalf and takes it. You know what that allows you and me to do? It allows us to smile. It allows us to laugh. It allows us to have joy. Remember that? Second fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, the proof, the product of the Holy Spirit is joy. And we have joy because of what he has done and continues to do on our behalf. Unaccusable. Approved. Did you know you're approved? You don't think you are. You don't feel that way. But it doesn't matter what you feel. Remember, we walk by faith and not by, help me, sight. We walk by faith. And you're accepted, approved, accepted. So that's what we covered last week. Let me give you, since I talked about Neil Anderson, let me give you a quote by Neil Anderson in regard to this. He says this. By the way, he wrote a book called The Bondage Breaker, Victory Over the Darkness. Great two books on identity and dealing with spiritual bondage. The most important belief we possess is a true knowledge of who God is. Do you agree with that statement? He says this, the second most important belief is who we are as children of God. Let's just say amen and go home because that's the truth right there. No, I've got more to say, so hang in there. So listen to this. The second most important belief is who we are as children of God. When you get that, it changes everything. There'll be a smile on your face like Kit Patterson that you cannot wipe off because he gets it. And when you get it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is too good to be true. No, it's so good. It's got to be true because that's the nature of God. It's so good. It's got to be true. So I love that quote from Neil Anderson. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to Neil in a little bit. So Colossians chapter 1, we're going to pick up. Remember, 
Paul wrote Colossians from a prison cell. So you'd think it'd be all doom and gloom, right? Oh, woe is me. Oh, what a terrible situation. But Timothy was attending him and taking care of him, and he was in and out with him, and he was able to kind of take care of Paul. And in the midst of that, by the way, back up, Paul spent two years in Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus for two years, we learned this in our Acts study, he made disciples. He won people to Christ. He made disciples. He taught them what Jesus said. He enacted the Great Commission of Matthew 28. And he actually did the apostolic mandate, the missional mandate, where he taught them and they went out and taught others. And Colossae was a church that was planted out of that group that came out of Ephesus. It was a local by the name of Epaphras who planted that church. He was a disciple of Paul, follower of Jesus, planted that church. Paul never attended that church, but Paul had concerns because he loved Epaphras and he related to him, but he did not have a chance to go there. So churches were beginning to be birthed without Paul having to go out and do it all. Why is that? Because disciples were making disciples who were making disciples and planting churches. Is that not how the kingdom should work? So the kingdom was doing, the axe was alive, and it was happening. And now Epaphras has got these teachers coming in with some different doctrine, some erroneous doctrine. And Paul begins to write churches, and you'll notice a lot of the letters uh, in the New Testament are Paul reaching out to both encourage and correct doctrine. Because there was a lot of new teaching and a lot of new ideas coming in. And they were going into different parts of the world where philosophies and other theologies and paganism were getting mixed in. And Paul often had to come and bring correction. So a lot of the letters you read in the New Testament are just that. And this is one. Now Paul is bringing correction. And again, you would think, oh, woe is me. Ball and chain. I, I, you know, please help me. And here's what Paul writes. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. See, Paul understood what it meant to enter into the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, another letter he wrote, a letter of joy, he says this, that I may know him, talking about Jesus, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and there's no period there, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul understood that there is not great power without great suffering, and he welcomed it because he was entering into the sufferings of Jesus. What do you mean sufferings? The theology of suffering? Yeah, guess what? Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, had to learn obedience through the things he suffered. See, the suffering is not the issue. It's our right relationship to it and how we respond to it. Because we have a choice to make. We can respond negatively and say, oh gosh, I, I'm done. I'm done with this. I knew this didn't work. Or we can respond rightly and say, Lord, what do you want out of this? What are you doing in me? What do you want to do through me? What are you teaching me? What can I learn from this? Where we literally, in the words of is it Keats, I believe, it said, you suck the marrow out of life. You suck the marrow out. Like you take everything out of it. You can't say, how can I learn? What can I do with this? How can this be turned to good? How can this become a Romans 8:28 moment in my life where I say this, Father, you cause all things to work together for the good of those who are loved and called according to your purpose. All things together for good, even suffering. And Paul got it. Paul says, I rejoice in it. What? Wait a minute. You know what that means, rejoice? It means I take joy in this. 
for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church that's exactly what I just said there he's taking that up he's taking on the sufferings of Christ for their sake of which he says this and he identifies himself I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make and here's the point to make the word of God fully known now understand when he says word of God he's not talking about your leather-bound Bible he was writing the Bible, remember? He was writing the letter. The Word of God is the message of Christ. It's the same thing we see in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But accurately translated, that is the message of Christ. It's the gospel. Faith comes by hearing the gospel. That's why when you hear the gospel, you have faith to believe because the gospel prompts that faith in you. It ignites faith in you. That's what the gospel does. That's why that verse now makes sense. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ. He's saying the same thing here, that God, that God was given to me for you to make the message of Christ fully known, to make the gospel fully known. That's exactly what Paul had been doing on his missionary journeys there in Asia Minor. Verse 26, now we have something revealed. This is going to be amazing, and the first time you read it, you're going to go, really? Okay, that wasn't that big a deal. But I think if we unpack it, maybe we'll see what it really says. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages. I like a good mystery. We watch the ID channel all the time. I don't recommend it at night. But I do like a good mystery. You know what I'm saying? So the mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations. So he's talking hundreds of years, generations. Not just for a little bit, but generations. It's been healed or hidden and he says this, to them, look what it says, but now revealed to his saints. Do you know you're a saint? You're not a sinner. Remember what Kierkegaard said? This is a great quote, Austin. I love that. He turned sinners into saints. By the way, you're not a sinner. You're a saint who sometimes sins. It's a different mentality. It's a different identity. I'm not a sinner. I mean, I'm not a saint. No, I'm not a sinner. See, so you have to think it is, it's hard to keep straight. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint who sins. But it doesn't define me or identify me. What defines me and identifies me is Jesus himself. And it's what God's word says about me. That's what defines me. That's what identifies me. Oh, the freedom. The freedom that brings. Listen to this. It's now been revealed to his saints. So who are the saints? Turn to your neighbor. Do this. Humor me, please, for two seconds. Say, he's talking about you. Thank you. Thank you. About 60% pulled that off. I'm very proud of you. That's way better than the first service. I had to do it twice just to get two people to do it. So you guys are rocking. Verse 20, they're still asleep. Verse 27, to them, look at this, to who? The saints, us, each other. To them, God chased chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, remember, unless you're Elaine, we're Gentiles. She's born Jewish, so she's got a leg up on us in this deal, but God, but Jesus. So you and I as Gentiles have been grafted in as a wild olive branch into the branch. And by the way, where there's a graft, it's actually stronger bond than the actual branch itself. Did you know that? And so now we've been grafted in. We're all in this together. So here it is, the riches of the glory of this mystery. And now he's going to define the mystery. Drum roll, please. Just kidding. Here we go. Here's the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
All right, one nod, one yes, and somebody's fanning themselves. Okay, so I know it's warm. So here's the deal. I read that the first time I did the exact same thing. I went, I was bracing myself for epic. And I was like, really? That's it? First of all, what is glory? That doesn't make sense to me. Hope? Yeah, yeah. I had a Sears catalog when I was growing up. I had a JCPenney wish book. Come on, didn't you? Didn't you, didn't you take a marker and, and circle things and leave it strategic places all over the house so your parents would see what you wanted for Christmas? That's called a wish book. And yeah, that's how our culture divine, defines hope. Well, I wish. I, I wish he would. I wish she would. I wish they would. I wish this would happen. I wish God would come for, through for me. So you've got Christ in you. Well, yeah, he's already in me, right? I'm, I'm saved. I gave my life to Jesus, and he took up residence in me. So uh, what's the big deal? So let's unpack it. Let's finish the, the passage. Verse 28, him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says this, I want you to grow up. By the way, it's not the first time he has said this. Ephesians 4, I want you to grow up. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. For this, I toil. This means to fatigue. He says, I wear myself out, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He says, I'm on a mission. And that is not only to win people to Christ, but to make disciples and grow them up. He wants us mature. He wants us to grow up. That's his passion. That's his heart. Now, let me give you a couple of things. First of all, back to Neil Anderson. Listen to this, because a lot of people are in various places of their life where they feel like they're stuck. That's great, Pastor Jimmy, but yeah, thank you. I'm hungry. Can we get us out on time today? I mean, so a lot of us are like, we're stuck. We don't find joy in what we're doing. We don't find passion in what we're doing. We don't wake up at night praying for the lost anymore. We don't cry and labor and intercede for those who are broken and shattered around us because we have been disappointed or we have not seen this thing work. And really, it comes down to this. There's an 18-inch gap between the middle of your brain and the middle of your heart if you're a man, an adult male. A little less for a female. And here's the deal. A lot of us have not made the jump from our heart, our head to our heart. So it has not become heart knowledge. It's stayed up here, and it's cerebral. And anything that's cerebral can be played with, messed with, and, and turned over and flipped over. But I'm telling you, when it's in your heart... It will never be dislodged or moved. That's how I know the difference between how people respond to stress and pain and suffering and calamity and tragedy is I look to see what's coming out of the heart, not the head. And it's an indicator of our maturity in Christ. Now, listen to this. If you find yourself stuck, no condemnation here, by the way. We're on a journey together. It doesn't matter. We're going to keep going and keep moving forward. Freedom from spiritual conflicts. And this is from Neil Anderson and bondage, because that's what this is. There's a very real enemy who's here to steal, kill, and destroy your joy, your life, your witness, your hope, your passion, your heart, your destiny. He's here to derail you off of the destiny God has for you. Freedom from spiritual conflicts and bondage is not a power encounter. It's a truth encounter. 
Now, that's massive there because we need to find out what truth does. Now, power is good too, by the way, and sometimes you got to step in and step up to the plate and swing for the fence and put your big boy pants on. I'm just saying, in, the, in this thing called faith, in this thing called life, there's a time to step up. But let me tell you, nine times out of ten, if we can get truth in and truth saturated into the heart and life of a person, it's amazing how little power it takes to finish the job. And so this situation here, listen to this. The truth, what is truth? So we need to know what truth is if that's so important. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, that's massive. Jews had stepped over the line, renounced Judaism, and said, I'm going after Jesus. He says this, if you dwell, abide in, live in my word, you are truly my disciples. So what defines a disciple? Someone who's a follower of Jesus and who lives in, abides in the teachings of Jesus. That's what he's saying. And he says this, and you will know, and I, I define this for you, I threw it in there, and you will know in the, in the Koine Greek, it's the word nosko or gnosis, and it means to know by experience or to have intimate knowledge of. He says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does truth do? If truth sets us free, how many of you think it's probably pretty important to know the truth? So here's what we need to know. Is truth a concept or a person? Let's see what the scripture says. But get this, you will know by experience. In other words, it's not enough to know cerebrally, you've got to know from the heart. You've got to make the connection because it has to be experienced. Remember, truth is not contingent on what we think, on what we believe, or on what we feel. Truth is truth. And when we embrace truth with the heart, it sets us free. It changes everything quickly. Whom the sun sets free, you'll be free Indeed. Now look at verse uh, John 14, 6. We shared this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said to him, Jesus telling, answering Thomas. By the way, Thomas wasn't being a bad boy at this moment. He just asked a question. He said, uh, you say you're the way. I don't get it. What do you mean the way? He's just an honest question. So Jesus gives him an honest answer. He says this to Thomas. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So think about this just for a second. Jesus says three things. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he adds a, uh, an addendum there. And the only way you're going to get to God is through me. Jesus is the bridge, if you will. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bridge through which we connect to the Father. So I want to lay that foundation as we unpack this verse for a moment. Colossians, back to our scripture. The mystery, and I highlighted for you. Look at the highlights. The mystery hidden is now revealed to his saints. Okay, camp on that just for a moment. Let that settle in. So there's a mystery that's been hidden. Now it's been revealed to us. So if, a history, if the mystery's been hidden for ages and generations, how many of you think this might be pretty important? Absolutely. It's revealed to his saints, and here it is. This mystery, the very last sentence, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, in order to mine the jewels out of that, we need to to unpack it a little bit, and I'm thankful I had great professors who taught me to love words, who taught me the value of words and why this is important. So here, next screen, I've got it for you. Let's go ahead and throw that up there. Here it is, the mystery revealed and divine. This is the reality of the truth that sets you free. Remember, truth is a person, not just a concept. It can be a concept, but it's, it, it's, a, it's a principle, but it's a person. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. 
So here it is, three things, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here it is, broken down, simple terms. It's a present participle, Christ in. That word in is transliterated in, and it literally means through, by, which, in. It means all of those, and there's equal gravity to each one. In other words, Jesus does not just want to live in you. He wants to live his life, help me somebody, through you. Now, wait a minute. That might just change something for somebody here today who's been trying to do a good job for God. Man, if I'm just, I'm gritting my teeth. I'm, I'm just faith, grit, and determination. I'm determined not to fall back into that besetting sin. I'm determined not to make that mistake. I'm determined to be nice to my wife. I'm determined not to, I mean, here we go, here we go. Works, 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 works. And we have a golden question we ask, how's that working for you? Bottom line is this, you can't do this thing. Jesus has got to do it in you, and then he likes to live his life through you. Jesus in you and through you can. Do you think you can fulfill the Sermon on the Mount? Have you tried lately? There's only one who can and who did, and his name is Jesus. But he wants to do it through you. This is a game changer. Because what we tend to do is strain and strive and work harder and work harder and I'm going to pray more, I'm going to read the Bible more. And those are all noble good things. But at the end of the day, if it's not Him in us, we're doing our works apart from Him. We now become the source instead of Him being the source. And the source is everything. And so listen to this. Christ in you, it means through you. So the next piece is the hope. What about this hope? Remember, it's the word peace in the Greek, and it means joyful, and I didn't even throw this in there, but it means this too, joyful, confident expectation of a desired good. Joyful and confident expectation. In other words, I'm not wishing, I expect it, and I expect it with joy, and I am confident because I believe and I trust. I trust him. He has my best in mind. He has my good in mind. That doesn't mean my circumstance is great, but he has my end game in mind. It's going to be good. Igbok, it's going to be okay. It's go He's going to bring to pass what he started. It means joyful, confident expectation of a desired good, of glory. What is this word glory? That's a big word. And it can be, has a lot of meanings. But here's what we can find in this. It's the word doxa. And it means this, manifested presence in its highest excellency and majesty. Now, you got to go back now, take these definitions, and now you have to reapply it to the Scripture. You didn't know you'd be translating Scripture today, did you? So here you go. Let's see what it says now, knowing what we know and how this relates to us. So let's read this with fresh eyes and new hearts. To them God chose, verse 120, chapter 1, verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, let's read it like we just translated it, which is Christ in and through you, the joyful and confident expectation of his manifested presence. See, that's a whole nother ball game. That's a whole other level. We can be confident. We can be joyful. I told my youth group, I used to quote William Carey all the time, a great missionary to India, and he'd say this, expect great things from God. 
And it was a mentality that he had. In fact, when he announced that he was going to go to India to share the gospel to the nation of India, he was laughed out of the room. And he ended up being the most prolific and the most impactful evangelist to India the world's ever known. And he stood in that, in that group of people, that, those pastors that laughed him out of the room, he stood and said, expect great things from God and do great things for God. That was his, his, his statement. When was the last time you expected great things from God? When was the last time you woke up and said, you know what? No matter what happens, this is going to be an amazing day because I serve an amazing God. When was the last time you decided to, to, to flip the script of life and say, you know what, I'm going to live up in a down world today. Is the world looking crazy to you? Am I the only one who's going, wait, we're losing our minds. How much easier is it to stand out by just having a smile on your face and the joy of the Lord in your life? You stand heads above the people you work with because you've got something. You've got Christ in you, but not only in you, through you. Can you imagine having a mentality when you walk into the office, the workplace, get in the truck, walk into Walmart, H-E-B, and you walk in saying, I am releasing all that's in me as I walk through this place. I'm telling you, in your mind's eye, because I go sci-fi on this stuff, I just see rays of light spraying out all over the place and nailing people. They don't even know what's hitting them. What is it? It's Christ in me. You know, if it's the aroma of Christ, the smell gets there long before I do, just like my grandmother entering a room. I don't remember what that perfume was, white diamonds or something like that. But when she came in, it was like, oh, Granny's coming. She could never catch us doing anything because the aroma got there long before she did. Because she wore that stuff by the gallon. So it was a complete giveaway. Her whole life, she never got, this is why she never caught us doing anything wrong. But in the realm of Christ, the scripture says, it's honest, it's in us, it's coming off of us, it's coming through us. And where we go, that aroma is out in front of us. And it's already touching people and conversations and situations before they get there. Can you imagine if you had that mentality and you were clear in your mind, you said, oh man, when I show up, this board meeting is going to go great. When I show up, this planning meeting is going to happen. When that, we do the strategic planning, it's going to be amazing because Jesus is already there. It shifts your thinking to a life-giving, life mentality as opposed to, oh my gosh, the wheels are falling off, the sky is falling, this is going to be bad, oh no, call the Calvary, get some help, this is, we're going down in flames, we're like a lead zeppelin coming out of the sky. I mean, that is most people's mentality. Ask a clerk at the store, hey, how's your day going? Oh, it sucks to be me today. Thank you very much. I had somebody tell me that one time. I went, caught me a little off guard. I'm just saying. How are you doing? Well, what time is it? Oh, I get off in 35 minutes. It's getting better. You ever meet people like that? We've got to come in and just say, Jesus, I don't have an answer for that person, but you do. And here's what's the beauty when he's living his life through you. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you can be the brightest light bulb in the room. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just say, Jesus, it's you. It's you. It's not me. It's you through me and in me. And now, Lord, you just show up. Show up and show out because I don't know what to say. I don't have an answer for this meeting. I don't have an answer, for a solution for this problem for our company. I, I don't know where we're going to go next. But, oh, but you do. 
You've ordered our steps. You delight in the details of our lives. Your favor surrounds us as like a shield. Your favor goes before us. Your favor's for life. Wait a minute. I've got the favor. I'm a favorite. I've got the favor factor on my life. See, you're taking the word. The word works, but you've got to work the word. And now you begin to go, wait a minute. I'm going to shift my language. I'm going to shift what's coming out of me because I've got the greater one living on the inside of me, now living out of me. So you come in with a different mentality. And let me tell you, when you step into rooms, you shift atmospheres when you have that mentality. Or you can forget who you are and walk into that room just like everybody else, defeated, whooped. We don't say whipped around my house. We say whooped. We don't say whipped cream. We say whoop cream. <laughs> and you walk in just whooped already before anything starts. I want to be around people who are world changers. You want to be a turkey? Hang around some turkeys. Now I'm talking to my, my youth group again. You want to be a turkey? Hang around with turkeys. You want to be an eagle? Go find some eagles and catch their draft and soar where they soar. You find somebody who's more on fire for Jesus than you are and get in their orbit and say, what do you have? How do you do it? How do you live up in a down world? They're going to tell you the same thing. They know who they are in Christ. They know who they are and they know whose they are. Anybody want to grab that truth today? Let's all stand to our feet and we'll pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for truth. Lord, truth bombs today just flying through the room. Truth grenades everywhere. Thank you for your truth. Thank you because your word is truth. Jesus is the truth. The way. He is the life. And Lord, I'm asking, may, the, may this explode in our spirit, Lord. Father, I'm asking miraculously even by your spirit today that you would give us grace to connect the dot between the middle of our brain and the middle of our heart. Lord, that today would be a day of connections, connecting the dots. Father, that we would, all through the week, I pray for our people. I pray for everyone who's heard this word today and those who listen online or watch. I'm asking, Father, a favor on their behalf. Father, you're a good father. So, Father, I'm asking as a son, would you bring this back to their mind of who they are in Christ? They're not what the mirror says. They're not what a person said. They're not even what they think, Lord, but they would base their identity solely on who Jesus says they are, who you, Father, through your word says they are, that they are truly, truly holy, blameless, above reproach, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that that truth would explode in their hearts and their spirits, and that, Father, we would walk different, we would talk different, we would be different because of the truth that makes us free. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Go change the world.